Well, good morning. So glad to be here and preaching God's Word today. If you will join me in 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I told Meredith this morning, I'm desperately trying not to revert back to my first grade reader. Do y'all remember when you were in elementary school and you would be in a lesson where you were reading and you were learning how to read? And at the very beginning of the first grade reader, you would have a definition of terms, new words that you did not know that you were going to have to know to be able to read this passage uh, that you were reading in, in first grade. Well, I'm not talking about new terms, but I am talking about some terms that are in the Bible that if you're honest, um, and maybe some of you aren't this way, but if I'm honest, I gloss over. Have you ever done that? Just gloss over some words? You kind of know what glory means, but you know, you just kind of gloss over it, get the context and keep moving. You know, we know that there's glory, there's God's glory, there's glory that's in God's word, there's glory that he gives to us, glory, 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 right? And we just kind of gloss over it. Maybe another word you gloss over like I do is sanctification. It just sounds like such a churchy word, right? And we kind of know it means to sanctify. God is supposed to do that. It's some kind of process. Um, But let's just move on as we read God's word. Am I the only one that does that? And so today it's almost impossible to do that because the passage that we're reading puts us at those two words, glory and sanctification, and how they interact with one another. We can't just gloss over it. We have to sit with it. We have to define it. And hopefully at the end of the sermon we will see the amazing gift that God has given us by transforming our life to become more like Christ. And so as we begin this passage, we need to have a healthy understanding of glory and sanctification. So instead of defining it at the beginning, I'm going to read two verses, and then I'm going to have to start explaining what everything means, okay? So here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7 and and read 7 and 8. This is what it says. Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For us to understand this passage, we need to go back to the Old Testament. We need to hear the story, a true story, a biblical story, an important story of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Now, you know, when he went up to the Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, the first time when he came down, he got mad and threw him down on the ground broke the Ten Commandments, and he had to go back up on the mountain again. And God said, carve out and chisel out some stones, and we'll do take two, right? 
And so then he goes up onto the mountain and spends some time with the Lord. And he's spending this time with the Lord. And because of that, when he comes down from the mountain and goes and talks to the people again, he was mad because they were worshiping an idol, were impatient. So he comes down to give the message, the, the Ten Commandments to the people. And his face is shining because of the time that he spent with the Lord. His whole face was glowing. And the Israelites hated it. They did not like it. It showed that God was so holy and they were so far from it. And Moses covered his face so that he could have a time to talk with the Israelites and to tell them what God had spoken. And he kept it covered until the glory of the Lord faded away. Isn't that fascinating? And so when he would go into the, the, the tent of meetings to spend time with, with God, we see this in Exodus. If you want to spend some time, it's so fascinating. I'm going to try not to be the historian today, but if you want to be, go to Exodus chapter 25 and 26 and, and, and read some of that. Go to, to chapters 32 through 34 and you'll read about this story of Moses. But did you realize that this wasn't the only time that there was a veil that was put between the glory of God and his people? When Moses would go into the tent of meetings, he would remove the veil so that he could have communion with the Lord unveiled. Didn't have to have that for, for he and, and the Lord. But when the tabernacle was built... And the Ark of the Covenant was put in the Holy of Holies. What was in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And there was a curtain that was put in front of it. And the priest was only able to go in once a year into this Holy of Holy Places. And he would go through the curtain and be in the presence of the Lord. And in order to do that, there was a sacrifice that had to happen. An animal had to be killed. And there was a process of cleaning and sanctifying and becoming holy so that they could even go through to the Holy of Holies to commune with the Lord. And so there was a barrier between God's people and His glory. And the barrier was because of sin in their lives. The barrier came because of Adam and Eve and continues to this day. Their sin that causes a great barrier between us and God. And so when God's people who accept Christ... And the Lord comes and lives within us. It breaks that barrier. And so Paul here in the beginning is saying, 
here is this ministry that brought death. It was the, it was the Ten Commandments. It was the law. And it showed all of the world sin and what separates us from God. Those ten laws separated us from God because we couldn't do it. And if that which brought death to the world, we now understood everyone, all has fallen, all has sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of that sin is death. If that brought the glory of God, that Moses' face was shining, how much more when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us will his glory shine in us? And that is what Paul is trying to communicate. This is not an easy thing for us to grasp, to understand, but it's so important. And so I want us to continue to read. We'll start again with verse seven. Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily on Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what has been glorious is not glorious now in comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will even be more glorious. So what this is saying is, is that if the Ten Commandments brought glory, and yet it faded because why? Sin was still in the camp. And they only had the, the, the sacrifice of atonement that happened once a year. That was it. And so that glory the more we sin, the further we are from God, right? And so now he's saying, if that's the truth, that glory can come even in this that brought death, how much more that when the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us, will it not be greater? Will it not be more glorious? Since then, verse 12, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So if you're filling in your blanks, the very first blank is pretty simple. Before Christ, the glory of the Lord was behind a veil. We see that a veil was put over Moses. We see that the, the tabernacle had this large curtain that separated uh, everyone else from the Holy of Holies. 
when Solomon makes the temple, it's the same thing. We have um, all sorts of things that made bigger because the temple was stationary and things were, were larger and more, more um, they had more room to have uh, the place for the Gentiles, a place for the women, the place for the Jews, and then the place for the priests, and then the Holy of Holies. But there was still a curtain that separated. But do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? In Matthew, uh, verse 27, 51, it says that the veil was torn. That that which separated God from his people was removed. That no longer was there Was there a cavern between God and those that followed him? But because of the death sacrifice of Jesus once and for all and the resurrection in power over death and sin, we can have continued relationship with God the Father. Because of Christ's sacrificial death, the veil has been torn and removed. When the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of every believer, the most amazing transformation begins. There is nothing that separates us from God's love, from God's presence. This is the good news. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, is to accept Christ and his payment and his spirit comes and lives within us and begins to transform us. We begin to look like Jesus. The next verse, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from death. Freedom from the power of sin. When the Lord comes and dwells in us, we have great freedom. This is the gospel. So the glory of the Lord is now, next fill in the blank, blank upon us. So remember in uh, Moses' time, when the Israelites had left Egypt, that a pillar of smoke by day Um, A cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night was there with, with the people. And when the tent of meetings was erected and this became the tabernacle, it says that the, the cloud would come and rest upon the tabernacle and God was there. And that means that his spirit was upon the people. In the same way, when we accept Christ is Savior and the Spirit comes and dwells in us. The Lord rests upon us. 
The next blank is in us. Just like the Lord was in the Holy of Holies, it says in 1 Corinthians that our body is now the temple of the Lord and he is in us. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we glorify him by what we do and what we say because it's showing that God is in us and working through us. That's why we're still here on this earth. When we accept Christ, we don't just immediately get transported to heaven. It's so that the world can see God changing us. And they see that and they go, something's different. And they realize it's God because it certainly couldn't be Mark or you. It has to be a holy God that's transforming and changing us from within. The glory of God is his presence, his character, working in us, moving changing us to be more like him, to be in his image. Let's look at verse 18. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Everything that we've talked about has been leading up to this verse. This is the crucial focal point of the message today. But we had to make sure we understood what it means to have unveiled faces. That means nothing separates us from God. We, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. In these days, mirrors were more likely to be metal, not the pretty glass mirrors that we have today. We had to shine them up quite a bit to see a reflection, and it was a dim reflection of yourself. Has there been times in your life that you have been in something and you've looked at yourself and you realized that's not how I normally handle things. Somehow I did better than I usually do. Somehow God was gracious to me and I spoke with grace to someone instead of with judgment. That's because you are reflecting the Lord. When we spend time with him and his word, when we spend time with his people, we begin to take on the characteristics of those. You've seen that. When you're a kid and your mom would get mad at you, or maybe you were good people, um, but when my mom would say, Mark, they're not a good influence on you. Quit spending so much time with them. I'm sure no one else had that said by their mama. 
It's because who we spend time with is who we become. So when we spend time with God and his word and his Holy Spirit is living in us, we're spending time with him and we are now being transformed to be like him. And so there are moments in my life that I look at how I reacted and responded and realize that was the Lord in me. I can't, I can't take credit for that. That was his goodness shining through, reflecting. And what's so encouraging about this passage is, is that it, it's telling us that this transformation that is happening is coming from glory to glory, that God has not given up on us. You know, Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it even until the day of Christ Jesus, that he is continually working in us to, to transform us into the likeness of his son. Isn't, isn't that a blessing to know that this is a work that is continual? He's not given up on us and said, well, that's as good as he's gonna get. We'll just hope for the best. No, he continually works in us to make us more like Christ. But church family, I think sometimes we don't experience that because we don't want to be a part of the sanctification process. It's uncomfortable. Who wants to expose sin? Who wants to sit there and acknowledge our weakness? And so we just do it as quick as possible and move on. And we miss what God wants to do to transform our lives. You see... As God transforms our lives, his glory shines brighter and brighter in and through us. But we have to be willing to let him do the transforming. We have to put ourselves in submission to him. We have to acknowledge our sin and admit we can't get any better. We need him and his power and his spirit to take it out of us. This process of getting rid of sin, submitting to the Lord, is called sanctification. Eugene Peterson has a quote from his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This is what it says. There is a great market for religious experiences in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. But this is the process of sanctification. John Bacluda says this, the daily commitment to pursue the things of Jesus, this is what it means to be a disciple and follower of Christ. To be sanctified means that God's word has had an effect on us. It is through the word that God cleanses us and makes us holy. If you're in John now in the Sunday school hour, uh, we looked at John 17 last week and it talked about that um, 
to sanctify them. Jesus is praying by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. It means to be set apart, to be used for a special purpose. Nothing can be sanctified unless it's cleansed with blood. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Sanctification means purifying ourselves. And the only way that we can purify ourselves is to acknowledge we can't. And Jesus can. That we cannot make ourselves and clean ourselves up. Jesus has to clean us up. That his sacrifice, his death on the cross is what gives us life and nothing else. This is the process of sanctification. And it's not just a one-time thing. I think we somehow believe that if I just accept Jesus, then I'm good and done. But it is a continual process. So what does it look like? How do we see sanctification in our own lives? Well, let me just for fun, identify a sin. And let's see if we can see how the Holy Spirit can transform us from glory to glory. The sin I want us to look at is one that I have had plenty of experience in, pride. Have you experienced pride in your life? It's one of those pesky little sins that even when you think you're being humble, you discover that you're being prideful, right? And it's a sin that we are fighting for all of our lives. And yet there is this beautiful experience, if we will allow it, when the Holy Spirit comes and wants to sanctify us and wants to just peel off a layer of pride in our life. So how does that look This is from a book called Why I Do What I Don't Want to Do. It's by Jonathan Bacluda. How do you know if you're wearing pride? The easiest way is to self-diagnose. Ask yourself a lot of questions. Are you anxious? That was surprising. Do you think everything depends upon you? Are you critical of others? Are you defensive when someone points out the sin in your life? Are you quick to notice pride in others? Do you constantly seek out the approval of others? Are you insecure? Do you take advantage of God's grace? Do you feel ashamed? Do you think your sin is bigger than God's grace can handle? Do you believe you are worthless or unforgivable? Does a particular sin define you more than God's claim on your life? If you answer yes to any of these questions, you've got pride. Welcome to the club. I find that I can be blind to my pride until it's so large that it rears its ugly head and it growls back at me. I think of two times in my life where I was hit so hard with pride that it just hit me on every level. Have you ever had that where just like everything that you do, every conversation you have, every, everything from the moment you wake up to the moment that you sleep, you're reminded of how prideful you are? Well, one time it happened uh, probably 16 years ago. Um, I was playing Ultimate Frisbee. 
um, probably 13 years ago, um, and I tore my ACL. Um, I couldn't get to the Frisbee, but I could get to the teenager, and I was 40, and I thought, well, I'll tackle him. Uh, that was a bad choice, right? And then I had to endure the healing process, and there was so much pride in it, uh, trying to pretend like it wasn't there, trying to hide all of those things. The other time is much more recent. Um, it was this November. Also falling, we see that that's a big issue for me. And I fell, fell and I hurt my ankle and tore some ligaments and had to wear a boot and tried to pretend like I wasn't. And I would get up on stage to pray and I would wait till y'all had closed your eyes and come up here and then I'd come down afterwards so that you didn't notice it. I was doing everything I could for people to not notice that I was injured and that I was weak. And Meredith was on the phone talking with a friend of hers and was talking about my sickness and I got so mad because it showed my weakness and I told her quit talking about me. And um, she, she responded back lovingly, well, welcome to the human race. That's what <laughs> all humans go through this. And I am sure no one else has done this, but before I could stop what was coming out of my mouth, I said, the problem is I don't think I'm human. Awesome. You can't take that back. Ever, right? Uh, we're reminded of that all the time. I, in my pride, thought I wasn't human. And she said, no more science fiction movies, no more superhero movies. You need to put yourself on, on, on hold for those things. I was so prideful in that because I didn't want people to see my weakness. And for the next eight weeks, every conversation, every counseling, Every Sunday school lesson I taught, I almost began with, well, you know the Lord's dealing with pride with me right now. Many of you in the room heard me say that many times. Because God is so good to me. He saw an opportunity. He saw some sin that was going crazy in my life. And he said, son, You're ready to deal with this issue. And in his love and goodness, he put so many things in my path to help me see how deeply rooted pride was in my life. But we have to be willing to hear those hard conversations from the Lord. Or we just quickly just say, Lord, I'm sorry about that and move on to the next thing. It reminds me of the importance of a physical therapist in our life. Have you ever had an accident that they sent you to the physical therapist? Let me just read to you what I came up with of all the tasks that a physical therapist does. It's their job to help you and to help you get better, to strengthen what is weak in your life, right? Identify the needs, deficiencies that are present. 
They come up with a plan to strengthen you. They create environments for the healing to happen. They determine the pace, how much to push. They demonstrate the actions necessary for healing. They give guidance and encouragement. They warn against pitfalls to re-injury. They reveal progress and motivate activities that continue to strengthen and guard against weakening. This is the task of a physical therapist. What is the task of the patient? This was revealing to me. Acknowledge my need for help. Trust the therapist. Submit to their plan. Do the activities set before you. Isn't that interesting? There's a partnership, but a lot of the weight is upon the expertise of the physical therapist. Did I go too fast or do you see the spiritual comparison to that? That the Holy Spirit does a mighty work in our lives if we will let him. He'll identify our problem and where we're deficient. Where we need to ask for forgiveness and confess our sins before him. He comes up with a plan and uses all sorts of things and people and conversations and scripture to help us determine where we're weak. He creates the environment for healing to happen. That's here in the church, right? That's as we read his word, right? He determines the pace, how much to push us. He demonstrates the actions necessary for healing. Praise be to the Lord that Jesus came and lived among us and we can see that he lived a life without sin so that we know how to live. He gives guidance and encouragement. He warns against pitfalls and re-injury. He reveals progress, motivates activities to continue to strengthen us. This is the work of sanctification. This is the work of the Holy Spirit moving in us, transforming us into his image from glory to glory. The work of you and me, we need to acknowledge that we need help. We can't do it on our own. That's humility, isn't it? That we need to trust the Holy Spirit. That we need to submit to Him and His plan. It would have been easy for me to just blush every time that someone brought up pride issues in my life and just go, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. Get off that string, right? 
And then we need to do the activities set before us. So in light of this, we move to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We've looked to see what transformation is. I've given you kind of an example of that. The result of it is Christ's likeness and to glorify God. And that's where we, we come to with chapter 4. It begins with therefore, and we don't have to go back and look at what the therefore is there for because we just did it. I always like it when I don't have to go backwards. So therefore, since we have this ministry because of we were shown mercy, we do not give up. This ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitful or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. As a Christian, we're not supposed to hide our sins. We're supposed to expose them. And we're supposed to show the world how God is working in us to cleanse us from that. If I'm not honest and open about my failings, then people can't see God transforming them into his likeness. I've hidden that from them. And so here it says we're commending ourselves to God who's doing the work and to the people um, by an open display of the truth that is happening Let's look at verse 5. For we're not proclaiming ourselves. We're not saying, look how good I am at changing this. I'm still prideful, by the way. Just one layer has been taken off. There's plenty more layers to go, right? But I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So much of that, I thought, the good works is all these good things that I do, right? But the good works are that, but it's so much more. It's how God is transforming me into his likeness. That's the good work that's happening. And so as I do things that are good and right and well, well, that honestly, you know, has to be God working in me. Because I'm a mess. But the more I spend with him, the more he transformed me into the likeness of his son, I reflect that. And the glory is seen through me to others. This is why people see things and go, I want to know about God. So don't hide it. Acknowledge our mistakes 
and that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it even to the day of Christ Jesus, that we are all still a work in progress. But praise be to God, God is working on us and in us and through us. And by us explaining that to people saying, yes, I really messed up today. When was the last time that you apologized for your sinfulness? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I just had a bad day. Um, and uh, I, I decided to, to spew sin on a lot of people here at the office. And I had to spend the rest of the day going back and apologizing to everyone. It was so exciting. It was so thrilling to be able to do that. I'm sure you've never experienced that. But I got to admit and say, isn't God so good that he's faithfully helped me see I messed up? And my first step was to apologize to the Lord. My next step was to go and to apologize to those that I had harmed. That is so that the glory of God can be seen. He cares about you. You are representing him to the world. And he is lovingly wanting to be in a relationship with you, much like a physical therapist that says, let's work on this so that people can see they're not past the love and transforming power of God. May you be the example and remind them that God is changing even you. And if he can change you, he can change them. That's the good news. So don't run when the Lord comes a calling and saying, it's time for the hard work of sanctification. But sit with him and say, I'm ready. And I trust you. Your plan is for my good. We sing a song. Love it. And I think sometimes we sing it and maybe don't have the right lens on top of it. We're about to sing that song in both services right after I stop speaking. And I want us to sing this song and I want to be encouraged and challenged to think, am I willing for God to sanctify and purify me? The song is called I speak Jesus. Are we yielded to God's work in us? Do we want Jesus to shine through because he's done the hard work in us? What do we need to do to take the next step of faith to put your trust in God to change you, to transform you in his likeness? Can you speak Jesus over every area of your life? Will you submit to his transforming power of sanctifying every area of your life? As we sing this song, may you wrestle with that truth. Lord, change us. Make us more like you. In a, 
in a spirit of reflection, would you please stand as we begin to sing this song?